Peace be with you. Uh, we continue in this mini-series on uh, spiritual gifts here at Westminster. And last week, I ended with an illustration by Barry Cooper from his podcast called Simply Put. And I'd like to start the service with that same illustration because uh, I think it gets us into the right uh, mind space. And he said, imagine a house, and this house was to be painted from the inside out, and there's a painter inside, and the painter is trained, and he's got all the paint that he needs, right? And so he's starting to, to do his work, and he paints the main room, and he, he paints uh, you know, the master bedroom, the kitchen, everything else, but there's certain rooms in the house that he has not yet painted, and the reason for that is because some of the doors are locked. And so what's the solution to that? Do you get a new painter? Do you find new paint? Well... No, you get the owner of the house to go and unlock those rooms, right? And so here's the comparison. We are the house. And so when someone becomes a genuine follower of Jesus, who he is, what he has done for us, we trust him, the Holy Spirit starts to come in and live within believers, right? And this is called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so in the metaphor, in the illustration there, uh, the painter is the Holy Spirit, and he's in the house. But some rooms are locked, and this is a way of saying, okay, wait a second. Um, are there corners, rooms, areas, priorities in our life which we are just not really open to having the Holy Spirit come into? Are, are we kind of like keeping that away from him, not cooperating with him, not allowing him in to do that renovating, beautiful work that he wants to do. And our spiritual gifts may be one of those areas where we've kind of not really thought about it. We've not really cooperated with the Holy Spirit. And so something is kind of maybe you know, stuttering a little bit when it comes to our discipleship. And so uh, there's a prayer. Holy Spirit, I trust you. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. Holy Spirit, I cooperate with you that I'm going to invite, if you'd like, uh, to say with me as we continue with our learning about spiritual gifts and we try to cooperate with the Holy Spirit within us, who he is and what he is seeking to do in and through our lives. If you'd like, I invite you to join with me in saying, Holy Spirit, I trust you. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. Holy Spirit, I cooperate with you. Holy Spirit, I trust you. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. Holy Spirit, I cooperate with you. Last week, one of the first things we did is we looked at the idea of sanctification, right? So we need to put all of this in the context of the Christian life. So this salvation, being made right with God through Christ. And then there's sanctification, Right? And sanctification is the process of simply becoming holy or becoming more like Christ. And I highlighted three dimensions of that. There's the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is God working Christ-like character in His people. Then there is spiritual, Holy Spiritual disciplines. These are practices that God gives us uh, for us to grow and be nurtured in His grace. Right? This is prayer, fasting, Bible reading, corporate worship, all those things. Then there's spiritual gifts, and this is probably spoken about the least of all three. But what are spiritual gifts? Here is the definition by Bruce Bugby. Spiritual gifts are endowments or special skills given by God that enable us to make our unique contribution. They are not natural talents, but divine abilities that enable us to do ministry. 
ministry here meaning enable us to serve in a Christian context, not just within the church, but out in the wider world, workplace, school, family, whatever it happens to be. Now, one of the reasons that I think we should really be paying attention to this, in addition to the fact that it's in Scripture, which we continually talk about, is an insight by John Thompson. Um, He says, spiritual gifts are the heaven-guaranteed place of power in your life. A heaven-guaranteed place of power in your life. If God has, if God's dwelling in you by His Holy Spirit, if God has given you the spiritual gift, powerful things will happen in and through your life. A heaven-guaranteed place of power. Now, as we go through this series, I've been referencing John Thompson. I have, and I will uh, today. Uh, they're from most of, most of the insights. There's a variety of, of books that I've read on spiritual gifts. This is a really good one. Uh, it's called Convergence. So if you want to go deeper with this topic, I encourage you to pick it up. The subtitle is great, Why Jesus Needs to Be More Than Our Lord and Savior for the Church to Thrive in a Post-Christian World. Talks about spiritual disciplines, he talks about spiritual gifts. It's not like one of those kind of inspirational books with lots of stories and quotes and this is, this is kind of meat and potatoes stuff about spiritual gifts and growing in discipleship. So it's called Convergence. If you want, I encourage you uh, to pick it up. John Thompson's a great writer, a great speaker. I had him on the podcast last year. Okay, so last week there was a handout. Uh, some of you picked up that handout and it had all the different spiritual gifts listed on it. Uh, maybe you've brought it back. Maybe you don't have it. If you want to pick one up on the way out, they're on the welcome desk couple of lines there. If you have an insight or a question, there's room to make um, a few notes. And so last week, in our kind of big picture, 10,000-foot view opening, we looked at three main categories of spiritual gifts. Love gifts, which are administration, which we talked about. Helps or serving. And by the way, hospitality, I think, fits into helps and serving. Uh, Mercy gifts uh, and giving gifts around generosity. We also looked at the first two of the word gifts. Word-focused gifts, teaching and then exhortation and encouragement. Uh, then there's apostleship, which we'll look at today, leadership, shepherding, pastoring. Something happened with the handout. Also should have evangelism there. We'll look at that. And then next week, we're getting into the power gifts. And so when a lot of people, if they haven't done a lot of research about spiritual gifts, this is, they think the power gifts are spiritual gifts, but it's actually a wider group. Power gifts, prophecies, speaking in tongues, uh, interpretation of tongues, uh, intercession, which is prayer, uh, faith, discernment of spirits, uh, words of wisdom or knowledge, and then healing and miracles. So that's kind of the trajectory that we are uh, on. So as we get into this today, we need to remember that all gifts are important. We looked at 1 Corinthians 12 last week. All gifts are important. So part of the reason he writes 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, Paul does, is that he's saying, hey, it's not like some, some gifts are way more spiritual and more important. They're all important. Just like that toolbox, right? A church is like a toolbox. You need all the different things in there. They're all important. They all have a function and a role to play. And we talked briefly about 1 Corinthians 13, right? The famous love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. The reason he writes that is because people are arguing in the Corinthian church like, oh, I've got this gift. Look at how amazing I am. I'm more important than you. He's like, no, 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 no. They're all important. And if you don't have love, you're really missing the point. So love is the basis of everything we are talking about. So this week, we're going to look at Romans 12, 1 to 8. Uh, quickly, it's one of the four uh, lists of gifts in the Bible. We're going to look at, quickly at four more gifts. And then we are going to look uh, at a detailed question. How do I know what spiritual gifts I have? Because as we start to learn, that's kind of the big question that comes into our mind. How do I know? And so we're going to look at six points that are going to take us through that. 
So first we go to Romans 12, verses 1 to 8 from the ESV. And so the Apostle Paul is writing this again. And the context we need to know is for the first 11 chapters, Paul's been writing, this is called his like magnum opus of theology. So a ton of stuff is in Romans 1 to 11. Paul is talking about sin in the world and its brokenness and God's love coming to us and then God's plan of salvation for Jews and then non-Jews, and, well, which is Gentiles. Uh, and everything, and then he gets to chapter 12, and all of a sudden, the gear shifts a little bit, and he starts to talk about, okay, how should we live in light of all of that? How should we live as the people of God, given all of this theology about how God has been functioning through human history? And so, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, or brothers and sisters, it's a generic term, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we're not to have like a bunch of blood and guts and uh, you know, animal sacrifices up here on the communion table. No, we are to be living sacrifices. We are to live sacri- sacrificially for God, right? Holy and acceptable to God. This is our spiritual worship. We are to live sacrificially. Verse 2, then he goes on, and this is one of the most famous verses in Romans, I love it, I know it's some of your memory verses, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal or the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So all of a sudden, how do we live in the world? Be living sacrifices, do not be conformed to this world, what does that mean? Do not be predominantly shaped by, conformed by the, the majority morality of the culture around you or the you know, passing trends that come and go or the pervasive darkness in the world. No, be conformed to Jesus. The, re- the renewing of your mind, be conformed to Jesus. Then you will be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 3, a key verse for today. For by the grace given to me, Paul says, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, here he's just about to talk about spiritual gifts. Think about yourself with sober judgment. And so two main ideas should come into our mind here, humility and honesty, because he's about to talk about spiritual gifts. Be conformed to Christ, not to the world. You are a living sacrifice. Based on all this theology from the first 11 chapters, here's how you're to live in the world. He's going to talk about spiritual gifts. Be humble and honest about what grace God has put in your life. And he's about to talk about spiritual gifts. So it's like, not what spiritual gifts you wish you had, but what spiritual gift you actually have. God knows more than you do. God knows what's best for you. And so we are to discern with sober judgment, implying both humility and honesty in our self-evaluation, know thyself, what has God given to me because he knows best and what he wants to do through me while I walk on the earth. Verse 4, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Oh, this sounds a lot like 1 Corinthians 12, yeah. It does. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And he goes on to name seven. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts, right? That's the gift of encouragement in his exhortation. You read this quickly and some people think like, 
Extortion? No, that is clearly not a spiritual gift. Exhortation. It's like people come to the church for the first time sometimes. They're like, Westminster Pedestrian Church? No, Presbyterian. It's different. The one who contributes in generosity, that's a love gift that we looked at the first week. The one who leads with zeal or diligence. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so he looks at those seven. This is the word of the Lord. So what I want to highlight there really is that uh, verse 3, to think of yourself with sober judgment, because as we look now at these six points about discerning what spiritual gifts we have, we need to have sober judgment. It's not about what gift we wish we had, it's about what gift we actually have. As I think about myself, what God is doing through my life and my personality and, 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 and the work of His Spirit and His grace, okay, how, how, how is God working? How can I be humble and honest about these? Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at first four other gifts, and then we'll get into the list of six, because we're kind of just kind of doing them piecemeal. We did some last week, some this week, and we'll finish off the power gifts next week. So for clarity, what is apostleship? Uh, So apostleship, according to John Thompson, is a pure leadership and expansion gift, pushing boundaries and overcoming obstacles as the church continues its God-given work under the Great Commission. So let me be clear, this is not apostles. Someone who has this gift is not an apostle. There's no apostles after the New Testament period, okay? So this is someone who has this leadership gift, someone who has courage and creativity. Usually these are people of influence, and they know the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. And so pushing those boundaries, right, to, to get us out of our, our comfort zone, perhaps, to, to bring, you know, the message of Jesus to, to the, the furthest research of the earth. That's, that's apostleship. Next is leadership. It's to cast vision, motivate, and direct people to harmoniously accomplish the purposes of God. So notice, by the way, because these are in that second category of word gifts, they're all based in Scripture. So no one should be doing things that are outside the parameters and authority of Scripture. But leadership is casting vision, it's motivating, it's bringing a group of people harmoniously into the purposes of God. Key to this is the word harmoniously. Okay, so it's not like some bull in a china shop, and sometimes you see these personality traits, and it's like someone's charging ahead and don't care what mayhem they cause, and you know, hey, follow me. No, it's different. It's someone who's got that vision in the purposes of God, but is doing so seeking unity in the process. Okay? Next is shepherding and pastoring, to spiritually care for a group of Christians over a long period of time. First thing that jumps into our head, the pastor, right? Because it says that. Now, pastor in Latin means shepherd. So shepherding and pastoring, it's the same thing. Now, some pastors have the gift of shepherding. Some don't. Uh, But what I want us to think here is more broadly because most of the shepherding and pastoring gifts in a congregation are not the capital P standing at the front pastor. These are the people who care for each other. Over a long period of time. Think about those people who check in with someone. Hey, how they care for that person in a pastoral way over a long period of time. Think of people who go visiting. Shut-ins or people who are sick or they identify. Someone's really struggling. I need to check in with them. I need to go over to the hospital. I need, oh, I know they're having a surgery on, on Tuesday. I'm going to follow up with them and see how they are. Those are the people who exercise that kind of care over a long, people, a, a long period of time. Those are the principal pastors and shepherds in a congregation. Uh, Fourth and finally, evangelism. 
Leslie Flynn, to communicate the gospel message in relevant ways to unbelievers. So this is sharing the good message, good news about Jesus. Now, when you hear evangelism, uh, some people think Billy Graham, and he's great. And, and that's a big you know, stage and influence that Billy Graham has. But here we need to be thinking more specifically of one-to-one settings. This, these are people, who, and we should all, all be sharing our faith in Jesus. This doesn't excuse that, but there are people with this gift who are able to just have this ability to have these conversations with people, usually in one-on-one situations, to talk about the hope that they have, that Jesus gives them. And they, they, they're good listeners, like, tell me about you, what, what's going on in your life? And they share the hope that they have. This is the gift of evangelism. Okay, so with that in mind, we're going to go to the question, which is our focus for today. How do I know what spiritual gifts I have? Now, as we get into this, I want to say two things. First of all, I'm going to highlight six points of discernment. And there on this handout, which you don't have in your bulletins, it's on the welcome desk. So if you're thinking, okay, I need, I need to process these questions thoroughly, well, that's why this exists. So you can spend some time with it and find it out there. Second thing we need to know is that this is more art than science. Okay, this is more art than science. So it's not like, you know, you know Habakkuk 2 has all, you know, specifically do these things and you will know. No, Holy Spirit doesn't always work like that. This is more art than science. This is gleaned from various insights from Scripture and experience over time. And we're trying to discern, think more art than science. Uh, third thing before we get into the specific six steps is that I want to say a word about um, online tests and spiritual gift inventories because some of you have, have probably taken them, right? Maybe on a website, maybe you've gone to a workshop and you filled in a form. And I've done that. I've probably done three or four of those over my lifetime. Just, just so I can get a sense, who's ever done like a spiritual gifting test or inventory? Okay, maybe about 40%, maybe 35, 40%. Yeah. So <clears throat> they can be helpful. Uh, they can be useful, but not always. I think they're of limited value. It depends. Sometimes it's like you get like, yeah, that makes sense. Other times, I don't, that really isn't me. So uh, they can be helpful, uh, but this isn't that. We're taking a bit more of a, a broad uh, approach to this. So let's get into step one. Uh, simply pray and ask that the Lord reveal your gifts to you. Seem obvious? But it's the first thing we need to do. Might that be an indication to God that, okay, this person is actually serious about having their spiritual gifts revealed to them. They're actually sitting down, they're learning about them, and, and, and they want to unlock that door in the room of their house. This prayer is an indication that they are ready to take that next step. So pray and ask the Lord to reveal your gifts to you. Do it tonight. Start the process. Second, ask other people what gifts they think you have. Ask other people. Now, there's two dimensions of this, and the first is, A, others can often see things that you can't see. And we know this from our daily life, right? You're with a group of colleagues or friends or family members, and they say, you know what? You're really being annoying today. They can see things you can't see, or they can see positive things as well, right? Sometimes they see things. So you find someone who's trusted. You look at this list of gifts, the front and back, the sheet that's out there and that you picked up last week or downloaded online, and like, okay, let's talk about this. Sometimes someone's going to say something that you never thought about before, but they see in you. So asking other people. Here's the second dimension of that. B, we discern our gifts in the context of a community, not in isolation, Right? These are gifts are primarily exercised in the body of Christ for the mutual benefit of others. And there's overflow sometimes. We discern that in the context of a community. And also there's an aspect of accountability to this. Okay? 
So sometimes something's happening, and maybe we're not thinking with sober judgment. We're not thinking with humility and honesty. And someone goes down a path, and they think they've got this gift. They're, they're working out of pride, but they don't actually have that gift. Okay? So here's an example. Um, Fred Craddock tells a story. There's a group of, of Christians and a gathering, and someone gets up. They think they've got this word of prophecy, and they're going to say something. And... Um, uh, they start t- talking. I was like, oh, this doesn't really happen in a, a worship service very often. What's going on? And so <clears throat> they start saying, oh, God wants a, a word to be shared with his people, and, uh, and God is good, and he is true. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And like, well, that sounds like God. Okay, that's, we're going to talk about that. Um, maybe this is from God. Next thing they say is God has done wonderful things for his people, and he brought light out of darkness, and he created humans, and he, he put together this wonderful world. And everyone's like, yeah, that." That makes sense. That could be from God because that's clearly biblical. Third thing he says, and God loves righteousness and God will exercise his wrath on unrighteousness just like in the book of Genesis when he identified someone who was righteous. His name was Moses and so Moses and his wife, he built an ark and he brought Moses and his wife and his sons and their wives into the ark and it was amazing. And someone gets up and says, Bluff, why? Who went into the ark? Noah, not Moses. This person's wrong. So how can it be a prophecy from God who is never wrong if they're actually mistaken? And so in community, there's also that sense of accountability. Oh, maybe, maybe sometimes something is going on with someone that isn't really honest, and the community can call that out. Third, what makes you angry about other Christians? Now, this is strange. This is an insight by uh, John Thompson, and it's built on this verse 3, that we are to be thinking with sober judgment. See, God can even use our sinful thoughts about other people to reveal something about uh, what's going on inside of us. And this is what he means, okay? And by the way, if you never get angry at other Christians, this is just, God bless you. This is not for you. Just... Hold on for like two minutes until we get to the next point, okay? But, but for the rest of us who can sometimes get impatient and angry, here's, here's what it is, okay? Sometimes <clears throat> you love to pray and you're like, I get so upset when other people, they're not praying. Why are they not spending more time praying? We should be on our knees like, you know, an hour every day. I can't believe what's wrong with these people. Like, they should be doing this. Well, might that be an indication that your spiritual gift is actually intercession, which is a prayer gift? And so in this situation, here's what's happening. We become very passionate about what our gifts are, and we think everyone else is nuts for not seeing things the exact same way that we do. Okay? Here's another one. You get upset every time. People are not loving their neighbors as we should, and there's this need in the community, and we are neglecting it. Why are we not doing more about this? Everyone should be doing about this all the time. I can't believe these people are hypocrites because they're not responding with the same level of passion that I am. That happens sometimes, right? Should we love our neighbors? Should we show mercy? Absolutely. But might that be an indication that you've got a mercy gift, that you are so passionate about that, and even that, those feelings of anger can be used to identify that in your own life. <clears throat> Number four, when you put certain gifts into practice, ask yourself questions like, do I feel closer to Jesus when I do this? Do I see God's kingdom at work? Now, we need to be aware on this that feelings aren't everything. Feelings are not facts. Feelings can be helpful. They can teach us things. They aren't absolute truth. You know, so we need to be careful here. So should we be reading our Bible? Should we be praying? Should we be sharing faith? Should we be loving neighbors? Should we be loving enemies? All these things. Absolutely. Right? And we do those things out of faith and obedience. But sometimes there are certain things going on within us 
we realize, wait a second, something different is happening in me. I feel closer to Jesus, and I feel I'm doing God's work. Pay attention, because that might be an indication about what your spiritual gifting is. One of my spiritual gifts is teaching. And so that comes out in blogs or podcasts or the devotionals, principally in, in, in worship and in preaching. Does that mean it's easy? No. Uh, do I get nervous most Sunday mornings? Yes. Um, but when I do it, when I've, when I've prepared and I've prayed, I feel like I'm doing what God wants me to do. And so the question you need to ask yourselves is this. What makes you feel like that? As you go through the gifts, what makes you feel closer to Jesus? How do you feel God's kingdom is at work in your life? Five, what makes you feel God's pleasure? Now, this is related to the previous one. And I want to introduce it with a, a bit of a video clip here. So one of the great sports movies is called Chariots of Fire. And uh, Chariots of Fire... Uh, Eric Little is this runner, and he is getting ready for the 1924 Olympics. He's super fast. He's also a Christian. He's devout. And uh, he's having this conversation with his sister, and he's going to go be a, a missionary in China, but there's this debate, should he do that or should he run? Anyway, he's, he's made a decision about what he's going to do. The, the clip is a bit old, uh, so I put the words on the bottom so you can uh, see it. Let's check it out. I'm decided. I'm going back to China. The missionary service have accepted me. Oh, <laughs> oh I'm so pleased. <laughs> I've got a lot of running to do first. Jenny. Jenny, you've got to understand. I believe that God made me for a purpose. For China. But he also made me fast. And when I run... I feel his pleasure. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt. You were right. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him. Jenny. Jenny. I love that scene. What I want to highlight is what he said. God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. So is there something within us that when we do certain things, we feel something of the pleasure of God because we know we are doing what he designed us to do? Sixth and finally, start trying the different gifts. Take note of which ones clearly benefit others and are for the common Good. We actually have to start doing them. You don't wait until you have everything figured out and then start. You start serving. Thomas Schreiner writes, If you get involved in the lives of others in your church and love as Jesus commanded, then you will discover your spiritual gift. And so you start to serve. You start to do things. You start to see evidence. You start to see fruitfulness. Oh, wait a second. I can see that happen. It's for the common good, according to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. So I see that blessing happening. I see that occurring. I see the uh, grace. I see that person helped. I saw that person being taught. I see that person being lifted up. That's fruitfulness. We start to do it, start to notice. Maybe that's an indication of how God has gifted you. Now, finally, I just want to share a, a word uh, of caution as well. Expect opposition. If you start growing, if you start discerning your spiritual gifts, if you start growing in Christ-like character, 
If you start growing, growing in the knowledge and grace of God, expect opposition from Satan. Okay? So the word Satan in Hebrew literally means adversary. And so Christians sometimes are surprised by this, but I'm not sure why. If you are advancing the kingdom of God, you are taking ground from the evil one. And so what's he going to do? He's going to pay attention to you. Hey, that person's taking ground from the kingdom of darkness over which I rule. And so therefore, I want to discourage that person. I want to put barriers in their way. I want to cloak them with a cloud of discouragement. And actually, it's actually, it's actually kind of a compliment because it means you're taking ground from the evil one. And so God is actually working in and through your life. But there's nothing to fear as we think about this. The devil's Achilles heel is biblical truth and prayer in Jesus' name. The devil's Achilles heel is uh, biblical truth and prayer in Jesus' name. So there's nothing to fear. He is greater. His truth is greater. There's nothing to fear if we are in Christ. So, final thought. I was thinking about that, um, um, that original uh, ap- application the original analogy from Barry Cooper with the locked rooms. <clears throat> and then I, was, I remember back to my own high school, and we had, and they still have these uh, locks. There's like the, the three, the, like the combination locks that you spin around. So you get the first number, spin it around the second number, and then to the third number right away, and it opens the lock. Well, I think this is kind of like the process of discernment. So what if instead of three numbers on the lock, it's actually six, and each of these six numbers represent one of those six steps. And as you go through one, two, three, Four, five, six. You're engaging in the process of discernment and click, you unlock one of the rooms and you start to discover what gift God is giving you to bless you and to be a blessing to others. So we're gonna end yet again with this prayer. Say it with me. Holy Spirit, I trust you. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. Holy Spirit, I cooperate with you. May we continue the journey of learning about spiritual gifts, which ones we might have. Next week, we look at the power gifts and ask, where do we go from here?